So I know that's a lot to take in in three minutes. I feel like you're back in school again. But what I want us to, to grasp from that is that so many times as we enter into the series, you're going to need, we need to grasp this, that we, whether we know it or not, as if you are a follower of Jesus, many times our mentality when it comes to Christianity is very church-centered, which means that our, our definition of what it means to follow Jesus always comes through the lens of the church. So when I attend on Sunday, if I give or if I serve or I go to a program or an event, it's all church-centered, and that's how we kind of define Christianity. When Jesus came, Jesus didn't come to, to, to start a church and plant a church. He came to establish the kingdom of God, and the result was the church, which is all the people of God everywhere that belong to Jesus. But the kingdom of God is bigger than the church. It actually encompasses the church. The kingdom of God is not limited by the church. The, the kingdom of God is outside even this gathering. The kingdom of God is established because Jesus is the king over the kingdom, and he is at work through his spirit in the world, inside and outside the church. So I know, like, like wait a second, I've always been about the church, and now, I'm trying, now I know it's kind of hard to kind of getting to that point. But, but the kingdom is not a location. It's, it's not like a geographic kind of parameters to say, okay, there's the kingdom, it's there, we have to go to it. The kingdom of God, because God's spirit dwells in his people, is at work in the world everywhere. And you and I will discover that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, of, of how we learn to prepare to embrace the kingdom and understand the kingdom. And so if you and I will, will get this concept, what is the kingdom in its simplest form? It's, it's in any person or any location or any sphere or any realm where Jesus' reign and his rule is present. In other words, if you use those terms, we're talking about where Jesus' authority is supreme, which means people are choosing to obey him and follow him. And his power is present, which means he is reconciling people back to God. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're saved yet, but Jesus is in the process of working in their heart, bringing them back towards God so that eventually someday they make a decision to follow him and then experience this thing called salvation. So if, there, and if you define it that way, then the kingdom of God is far bigger than the church. Because all of us have experienced the impact of the kingdom of God before we ever knew Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit was at work in us through Jesus trying to get our attention, drawing us back into him. So when we understand that, we understand that God is at work everywhere. And whether or not we see him and embrace him comes down to really what today is about. It's it's about us. It's about our responsiveness and our receptivity to what God is doing in us and doing around us. And us having the ability to see it and embrace it. And that's why Jesus begins what, what is chapter 13 is a series of stories that Jesus told to people. We call them parables so that people would understand the concepts of the kingdom so that they could embrace Jesus fully. And today he starts and we'll look at verses 1 through 23. I won't read all through all of them, but we will, we will break them down together. Because what you and I are going to see is what Jesus is describing here is something that's so important about the, the framework then, the lens that we look through and we see through to embrace Jesus' work in our life and his work in the world. So before we jump into the passage, let me just give you kind of the, the broad concept. What we're going to look at is what we know as the parable of the sower. Most of us have probably heard all of, if not part of, this story. Jesus uses an illustration that for most of us, we, we don't have the context that, of the people that he was talking to 2,000 years ago. He's talking about a farmer. He's talking about farming and, 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 and talking about working land and talking about planting seed and all these things. And most of us don't have a broad concept of that because most of us in this room are not farmers. We might be gardeners. We might be people who plant a garden, but we're not farmers. 
But for most of the culture Jesus was talking to, when he started using these kind of analogies about seed and about sowing and about reaping and all these things, they immediately latched onto it. They knew exactly what he's talking about. So we're playing a little bit of catch-up historically to really understand what Jesus is saying. So, but we're going to look through this because Jesus identifies through this analogy of a farmer or a sower spreading seed around and how the ground responds to the seed determines how much fruit it produces or if it produces any fruit at all. So with, with that in mind, this is the kind of the context that Jesus brings to us. I want to walk through the early parts of the passage where Jesus describes for you and I barriers that we place as roadblocks, in a sense, for his kingdom to truly penetrate our hearts and our lives. So the first thing you can look at in the passage, look at verses 3 and 4, because the first barrier that Jesus describes to the kingdom for us, really embracing his authority in our life and his power in our life, is that we have a calloused heart. So verse 3 and 4, Jesus says, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came up, and they ate it up. What Jesus is describing, again, when he's using this analogy, people are, it's popping for them. They're getting it. Now, just think about a field. Now, anybody driven in the, in the San Joaquin Valley lately, like near Bakersfield and Fresno, those really hot spots in our, in our state? You drive past lots of fields, and when you see fields, you'll see rows of trees or rows of grapes or rows of whatever is being grown there. And then you'll see on the outskirts of each, each of those, normally you'll see some kind of a path. Now, what Jesus was talking about was a path that would run the perimeter of a field, and it was, it was laid out where people would walk. So, and as they walked, over time, they began to compact the soil. Now, in our day and age, when you see those, a lot of times it's not just the walking. It's a tractor or it's a truck that's driven over kind of the perimeter of the field. And what happens over time is when dirt is driven on and packed in, it becomes hard. And in a sense, it almost, in some cases, you've probably seen it, it almost acts as though it's like concrete. It's so compact. It's so tight. It's so dried out that there's nothing. It looks just like concrete because it's been so worn down and so calloused over time. That's what Jesus is describing. And he's talking about when the sower's throwing his seed and he throws it and that seed hits the callous or hits the, the path, it bounces right off. It doesn't penetrate. It doesn't get deep within there because it can't. And it lays on the surface in such a way that along comes a bird and has an easy meal. So with that being understood, Jesus goes on. If we jump to verse 19, he explains the correlation between us and our heart. He says in verse 19, he says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. So we, you and I may have the, the desire to receive and accept what Jesus is saying to us about our life and what it means about the kingdom of God and his rule and his reign in our life. And, and we may be eager, but we don't understand it because something in us has sealed off the deepness of our heart and our soul and what Jesus wants to plant into us cannot penetrate. It cannot get beyond the surface. And there's a lot of reasons that you and I might find ourselves in that situation. Some of us by choice, that we've just decided to tune him out. We've decided to kind of create a shield around us. And part of that may come because over time, and, and things happen in life, and so we are hurt or we're wounded or we're frustrated or we're mad. And because of that, we don't want anything else to come in because we know if something comes in, it may cause us pain. So what do we do is we cover it over. And just the, the routine of life, sometimes the monotony and the day-to-day -day grind of life causes you and I to be numb, in a sense, to what God is doing. 
Because we do the same thing every day and we go through the same routine and we never break out of the fact that the God of the universe is working in us and around us because we can't see it because we become callous to our own world and to what God is trying to do in our lives. And you know that's true when, when you either you, you take time to read scripture or someone tries to challenge you in your life or you hear something in a message. And, and instead of saying, you know what, that, that really applies to me and that's something I really have to take in, that's something I really need to learn to live out. Many times our responses are more like, well, actually, you know, when I think about that, that applies better to so-and-so. You know, we all have a friend that really Jesus needs to get a hold of, don't we? And we always default to, yeah, or, or a spouse who really needs help. But, you know, I'm, not, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as they are. And so we just kind of deflect it over to somebody else because I don't really have issues. And many other times we'll say to ourselves that, you know, yeah, there may be some truth that's coming through that person or through that scripture or through that message. But, you know, deep down inside, if we're honest, we really don't like it. And so what we have a tendency to do is we start going after the messenger. We start critiquing the messenger, the one who delivers the message, and say, ah, oh, you know, they're all wrong, and I, you know, their, their life doesn't seem to reflect it, so I'm not going to listen to them, though deep down inside, you know what? It's true. We're just deflecting it off the surface. And I think one of the worst, worst things that you and I can say before God is to say, hey, I'm okay. I'm getting by. I'm not as bad as I used to be, not as good as I'm supposed to be, but I'm okay. I think in the kingdom of God, when we follow Jesus, there is no okay. There's always progress. There's always fruit God wants to develop in our life. There's always challenges. There's always things that he's moving us on in. And when we kind of get in that okay state, we're kind of almost apathetic. There's no passion. There's nothing deeper than us. Why? Because there's a shield over us that doesn't allow God to penetrate into our souls. So Jesus says this is the first barrier that you and I have to learn to overcome. The second one, look at verses 5 and 6. He says also another barrier to embracing the kingdom is a shallow life. Because he goes on and he says in verse 5, he says, Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Now again, let's go back 2,000 years ago. When Jesus started to explain this, it was popping. It was clicking because people got it. Because in Palestine... There were tons, there was, there was soil that you could see on the surface, but people knew if you dug down just a little bit, you'd hit rock. You'd hit rock all over the place, and, and, you, and you knew that there was only so much you could do when you just had a little bit of soil on the surface, but just rock, really a bedrock right beneath it. And so he's saying when the seed gets there, there's just enough soil for it to start to grow. But there isn't enough soil for it to grow deep enough so that when the sun starts to scorch it, that it can survive. It doesn't have enough nutrient. It can't reach deep enough to get the water. Because of that, it doesn't last and it fades away. So Jesus is explaining this. Now, for you and I, sometimes I think that's hard for us to understand. It was interesting. When we were in Haiti and the team were, were building this, this building to help house food and supplies, just like probably 10, 20, not even 20 yards away from, from us, there were, was a crew of four Haitian workers. And for three days straight, day and night, they took turns. By hand, they were digging a 12-foot hole for a septic tank. Can you imagine? Picks and shovels by hand for three days straight. So take a look. This is the hole that they dug. It's crazy. When you look at that hole, look at the top. The first four feet of soil is what? It's rock. In fact, you can see what I'm standing on. There's down at the bottom there. There's a pile of rock. That literally they had to, with picks, they had to break up and they had to heave out of this hole. Now, on the surface, you didn't see a lot of rocks, 
but just underneath the surface. And it's really interesting, you know, Jesus talked about this, you know, later, but nothing grows really around there except thorns. In fact, when you look out on the property that we were on, all you could see is little thorns growing. I shouldn't say little thorns, like inch to inch and a half thorns that a lot of us got in our foot. They went right through the sole of your shoe or they scratched your leg. And that's the only thing that would grow there. But it's, it's interesting. That's what Jesus was talking about. When he was describing to them in Palestine, he was speaking this. He's saying, this is what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a little bit of soil on top, but a lot of rock below. So he goes on to explain what that means for us. He says in, in verse 20, he says, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. I think Jesus just described probably 75% of the rhythm of our life as Christians, which is hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. We go back and forth. That something happens. We go to a a retreat or a camp or we hear a message or the Holy Spirit speaks to us through his word and, and there's something in us that wells up and we're excited and we're passionate even though we're challenged and we move forward and then suddenly reality sets in. Real life takes effect. And we start backing off our commitment like, oh man, I was crazy. You must have just been drunk on the Holy Spirit or something. I don't know what I was thinking when I did that. And you and I start to back away. And we don't press in. We don't really move forward. Because what you and I do unintentionally is that I know I've saw this in my life for years is that you and I will draw a line of how far God can go in our lives. And, and really one of the main determining factors of where that line falls, that really that bedrock beneath the surface, is where we find our comfort level. As long, I'll follow Jesus as long as it doesn't get too uncomfortable, because if it gets too uncomfortable, it means it's going to be painful, and there's going to be things that he wants to root out of my life, and he may have to break up in me, and I don't know if I want to go that far, and so I create the line. I create the limit. And I think that's where the bedrock lies for some of us. I never knew I had that until I had been pastoring and I had been actually come out of Bible college. And when Kim and I came out of Bible college, you know, we could have gone anywhere to serve the Lord. But we, we felt like, OK, and this is, again, our, my humanity talking. But we want to serve the Lord in Southern California where it's familiar and we have family. God will go anywhere and do anything as long as it's within our comfort zone. And then after five years of ministry on staff with Dennis Easter at Horizon, God was calling us to go and to take a season where we would go and be senior pastors. And I remember sitting with our supervisor who oversees all the four square churches in the area. And I remember making this statement and I said to him, I said, we will go anywhere and we will do anything for Jesus. Isn't that great? Doesn't that sound awesome? But in my mind, this is what I was saying. As long as it's in Southern California where the weather's really good and I have my family. That's exactly what I was thinking. So the parameters of where we had planted church narrowed very quickly. And that's why, and I think God used it, but that's why we ended up in Ventura. Very familiar. We had been there. Kim was raised there. Uh, We knew the context. We had relationship. And in a sense, it was easier than going somewhere else. And four years into that church plan, I had to learn something in my life. I had to learn to stop saying, I'll go anywhere and do anything because I wouldn't go anywhere and do anything for Jesus. I would only go as far as my comfort would let me go until finally God used an experience to get to the core of where I was and very painfully root out the rocks and break them up and get it loose so he could go deep within me. And I remember coming to that moment where I realized, now I can really say, I will go anywhere and do anything that you want me to do. And then came Oregon. Why in the world Oregon? No offense if you're a native Oregonian, okay? Oregon is a beautiful place. 
for three months out of the year. Because the other nine months, it seriously does rain. People, you know, it's funny. Oregonians will tell you, it doesn't rain that much. You know why they're saying that? They don't want you to move to their state. It really does rain and rain and rain. I felt like Noah for the last, you know, seven years. It was crazy. And I remember when we first got there, because, you know, you're like, okay, it's exciting. We're going to a new place, and God's going to do great things. And then reality sets in, because then you realize you're in a place that you've never been before. And after we moved up there, Kim's parents were gracious enough to follow us up, help us get moved in. The church showed up to unload the truck. We had like 40 or 50 people. We unloaded like 30 minutes. It was great. You know, everyone's like, welcome you. Then the first Sunday comes, and your first Sunday is always the best Sunday because everybody loves you because they don't really know you. They pat you on the back because you preached your best sermon. And you're coming out of that like, this is great. And then Monday or Tuesday morning, we drove Kim's parents to the airport. We said goodbye to them. We got back in the car, and I remember sitting in... Portland, PDX, in the airport there, in the parking lot. I pulled out of the parking space, and I drove about four spots. I pulled back in. Kim's sitting here, and the kids are behind me, and I just lost it. I don't cry easily, but I just, I mean, like a baby, I cried. Because it hit me that I was alone, that we didn't know anybody, and this was not going to be easy. This was going to be difficult, and this was the go any place, do anything that Jesus had called us to, and I remembered, okay, this is what it looks like. But I'll tell you, I'm so glad that we made that decision because I know that was part of what God was doing in us. It was what God was doing in Oregon. And it was beautiful. Was it easy? No, it wasn't easy. But I honestly can say, I will go anywhere and do anything. And you're like, oh, don't say that. Well, I don't know. What if God calls you to China or Haiti? Let's go. Because the bedrock's gone. Took a while. Please learn faster than me. It took me probably a good solid nine years to get to that point. You can do it a lot faster, okay? Don't take that long to respond to God. Then the third thing, going on verse 7, Jesus highlights also another barrier to the kingdom, that is a deceived mind. So he says in verse 7, he says, Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Thorns are nasty things. Why would the thorns choke out the, the plants? Because the soil created this competition. So you've got these thorns and weeds already woven into the soil. And then here comes the seed. And now the seed is in competition with the thorns and the weeds. And what Jesus is saying is the thorns and the weeds always win. They always get the nutrients. They always get the water. They always get what the seed needs. So the seed can never fully get what it's supposed to get. It gets a little, but it doesn't get enough to sustain sustain itself. So it can't go on. It can't produce fruit. Why? Because it's getting choked. It's getting controlled. It's in competition with what's around it. So Jesus goes on in verse 22 to explain. He says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. The worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. I think this applies to most of us. That we have great intentions to follow Jesus, to serve him, to allow him to speak into our lives, to embrace his kingdom in us and other people. That is our desire. But something happens along the journey in following Jesus. That we start listening to the culture and we start listening to the government and the media and we start listening to a different voice. And before we know it, you and I are in a place where... Everything in our life is in competition with Jesus. And he no longer becomes our life. He becomes part of our life. 
He becomes a competing factor in our lives that has to compete with our schedules and our finances and our jobs and our families and where we live and what we drive and all those things. He's in competition. And, and I'll guarantee when push comes to shove, Jesus say the thorns always win. They do. Other things always win out when they're in competition with Jesus. They shouldn't. Because you and I, we are lulled into consumerism. It's, it's a cancer in our society. It's part of who we are. In fact, it is something that's actually celebrated in our culture. Because consumers make the United States go round. It is. We are consumed with our finances and with our jobs and with our retirement and with our housing and with the market and all those things. And because of that, We are consumers, which means I buy things. And if I buy things, then it makes more money for businesses and businesses can hire more employees and they can make money. And so the economy grows and we're good capitalists and it's all wonderful. I'm not capping on capitalism, hear me. But it feeds this in us. And consumerism cannot produce anything because it consumes everything. It doesn't produce anything. In fact, we're like, we're, look at what our, what's our, our gross national product. What is, what is the total amount of money that we're bringing or we're making for? We're consuming it all. We're consuming more of the world than rest, the rest of the world is. We are consumers. That's hard to hear. And we hear it from everywhere. And this is not a political statement. And, and not, you know, I voted for him, and so it's great. But when George W. Bush was the president, does anybody recall one of the mantras that came up after 9-11? George Bush said this. He said, don't let the terrorists threaten our way of life. So what do you encourage people to do? Spend. Go spend more money. Because that's, see, they're trying to threaten our way of life. And what is our way of life? Spend more. Obama has said the same thing. When we responded to an economy that's bad, what do he say? Spend. No. We did spend. After 9-11, we did spend. What happened in 2007, 2008? Whoops, we spent too much. That's what happened. Why? Because it's this consumer mentality that we have to have more. And what, what consumerism does is when, when these weeds wave their, weave their way into our lives and they choke things out, they make us hyper-focused on only a few things at the expense of everything else around us. We only see what we want. It's like my friend who I grew up with, uh, Darren, he, we were at a pool party one time and we're sitting out in the backyard taking a break and we were sitting on this bench and this house was really cool. All the bedrooms came and faced out towards the pool, and they all had sliding glass doors so every room could access the pool. And so we're sitting there, and he's looking at this one sliding glass door, and inside there was this really cool TV. Now, at the time, it was really cool and hip. This will show you how old I am. It was a, an all-in-one TV, which it had, like, a television that was portable. It was color, and it had a radio in it, and it had, like, a cassette player. And, yeah, anybody remember what cassette players were? It was, like, really cool. And so I remember we were talking, and I, I remember somewhere in the conversation I lost him. And he wasn't even looking at any, me anymore. He was just staring, almost kind of like in a trance. And all of a sudden, in the middle of our conversation, he jumps up to his feet, and he starts running right at the sliding glass door because he sees the TV. And I see the glass door, he doesn't see it, and he's running and getting faster and gaining momentum, and all of a sudden, bam, he hits the door and he flies back. Now, he was small, so he didn't break the window, which is good, but he's just laid out on his back, and I said, man, what are you doing? He goes, I didn't see the glass, all I saw was the TV. 
And sometimes that's exactly what consumerism does to you and I. We don't see the bigger picture. All we are seeing is hyper-focused on, if I just get that, if I just own that, if I just buy that, if I just make more money, then, then I'll be happy at the expense of what? The kingdom of God around us that is not about how much money we make or the career we have or all the things we think will make us happy. It is about God's power coming to bear on humanity. It is what that video said. The kingdom of God is eternity invading the present. And that's the purpose, not all of what we think we're supposed to have. And so each one of us has to take a step back and say, okay, where is God's work in my life getting choked out by stuff by my own consumerism. I shared last week, Kim and I, we go through these seasons every once in a while. We're in another season right now. We are peeling back. And come September 22nd, I'm saying goodbye to ESPN for a long time. I'm get, we're getting rid of TV. We're doing things like we're saying, okay, how can we cut our costs? How can we eliminate things? How we, can we let go of things? Why? So we can say yes to Jesus at every moment because nothing's choking out what he's doing in our life. It's big things, it's small things. And then the final thing, as far as the barriers that we face in embracing the kingdom, Jesus mentions one other category. Verse 13 through 15, and that is a rebellious spirit. So verse 13, it says, Jesus says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or, or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become callous. They, are hardly, uh, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. What is Jesus saying? He's saying eventually you and I get to a point where we come just like Adam and Eve, which is... God says, listen, you can live with me in this place called paradise. We can be in relationship. Or you can say, I want to be my own God. I want to do it my own way. And you can rebel. And that's what Adam and Eve did. And that's what we do. We've Thousands and thousands of years, humanity has done this. We have what? We've said, I'm going to do it my way. And because of that, I'm going to close off my heart from you because I don't want anything to penetrate that's going to mess up what I want to do with my life. And when you and I do that, we shut down. We shut down spiritually, even if we don't think we are, because we're closing out everything that God wants to speak into us, everything he wants us to see around us. We're just closing it down and shutting it down and saying, I want to do it my way, and I know if I open my ears and my eyes, I'm going to see things and hear things and experience things that I know are going to just mess up my life. Because you and I have our agenda. We have our will for our life, and a lot of times it doesn't match up with what God wants for us. But I guarantee God always has something far more fulfilling. We become so focused on ourselves that we don't see what's going on around us. And sometimes we don't even realize how much we don't see around us. Now, this is true across our culture. It's not just exclusive to, to Simi Valley. But we are very much individualistic people in the way that we function. We know that typically Simi Valley, you drive home, you open your garage door, and then you get in and you shut it really fast because you don't want to see your neighbors, right? We all know that. And if your garage door is open, that means that something's wrong and a thief's going to come in and steal from you. I know, I've noticed when I've been out in the last year and a half, out running or walking or whatever, 95% of the people I encounter don't even acknowledge that I'm there. I mean, they're literally like walking two feet or running two feet away from me, and they don't even acknowledge that I'm there. They don't say hi. And, and I've made the commitment that every time I go by somebody, I'm going to force them to acknowledge that there's another human being near them. 
Because you know how it is. You got your hat down low, you got your sunglasses on, and you got your earbuds in, and you don't care about the world. You're just getting your exercise, and, and you're just doing your thing, and you don't want anybody to bother you, or you're focused on your dog and the little baggie you're carrying after they do their thing, and whatever it is, and that's your focus. And we don't see people around us. It's, it's, it's kind of humorous. I, I'm, I'm coming up on somebody, I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if they're going to say anything, and 95% of the time they don't. And sometimes I've said hi, and I've scared people. They literally will jump like, oh my gosh, they talk. You know, it's like, really, why is that? It's because we've shut our lives down so that it's just about us. It's just about me. It's not about anybody else. And that's why even in the routine of our lives, if you're like me, we're all in some some element of our life, we are creatures of habit. So we do things over and over and over again. Like when you drive somewhere, or where you eat someplace, you get the same food, or you take the same route. And that's, I think, the, one of the things I love about Simi Valley is there's 10 ways to get any place. You can go 10 different ways, right? And I like to do that. I don't take the freeway all the time. It has nothing to do with traffic. I like to drive different streets. I know because we're on a grid, they all look the same, except a few stores here and there. But that's the city we live in. How many of you know where Patricia Avenue is? Okay, most of you know that. Maybe some of you live there or have lived there, and most people know that street. Why? Because it's where everybody wants to live. No, it's not. It's where most people don't want to live in our city. In fact, if, when I went on a ride-along my first couple months here with a police officer, that's the first place he took me. He said, if there's a gang member in Simi Valley, you want to know where they live? I said, where? He goes, they live on Patricia. He said, in fact, he said, they probably live at Creekside. Or some know it as Crackside, whatever you refer it to. But I said, why do they live there? He said, because it's right near the river. He said, it's right near the Barranca. He said, and if they get through this gate, which they constantly break the lock for, they can get down into the river and then get across to the park, and we can't get them. Because then we have to get them on foot, and they'll outrun us. And so we're going through, and so I know that street, and when I remember that, I thought, I have 10 different ways I can get to the church. If I'm going from the kids' school, there's one way. If I'm coming the freeway, there's another way, and, and from home. And I can do all these different things. But I know one thing that I constantly do when I'm coming from my kids' school is I can go up to L.A. from Erringer, and I can take L.A. over to First and go. I can do that, but I don't. I take Patricia on purpose, and it just weaves me around, and I keep my eyes open, and I pray, and I look at people, and I see what's going on. Why? Because... God is at work, and I want to figure out where he's at work. You know, the beautiful thing is our, our community group is doing Laundry Love, and we pick the laundry mat right there on Erringer and Patricia. Patricia ends right there in that shopping center by Smart and Final, and we've, we've adopted that laundry mat. And a laundry, it's crazy. This last laundry, we were, there were like literally people waiting out the door to get in. It was awesome. The conversations we've had the last four months with people in that laundry mat, and they guess where they live on Patricia in an apartment complex. And the world is there. We have met people. We've met families from Guatemala, from Honduras, from Mexico, Central America, South America, all over. Some of them literally just came into the country three days before they walked in that laundromat. This is going on in our city. And if we open our eyes, we see that. And God is at work in people because it's great when you do somebody's laundry for free and they come back, the conversations get deeper and deeper and deeper and you learn more about their lives. And we've discovered some people know Jesus and some people don't know Jesus. A lot of people know Spanish and most of us don't know Spanish. So by the way, if you speak Spanish, we'd love to have you come serve in a community group in a laundry love because we know that there's a high Hispanic population in our city that need to be reached. They need to experience the love of Jesus. But if you and I are closing down everything and we're driving the same way and we're not opening our eyes and we're doing everything for us, we will never see what's going on around us. God is at work in our city. 
He's working in the lives of people. And we need to be attentive to what he's doing. So three other things before we close. So how do we shift from seeing those barriers to actually preparing to embrace God's kingdom in us and around us? Three things that Jesus mentions for you and I. Verse 8. The first thing is that you and I have to have a humble heart. Jesus says, still others, uh, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. What's the good soil? The good soil doesn't have the rocks in it. The good soil doesn't have the thorns and the weeds in it. The good soil is pure and it's right and it's deep and it's ready to receive. It's eager. It's like a sponge that wants to soak up what's going on around it and what, what, so it can receive, so it can produce fruit. That's what the good soil is. That, and, and in human terms, that's humility. See, because humility says that I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. There's more for me to learn. There's more that I need to experience. There's more that God wants to do in me. It has an accurate picture of itself. Whereas pride says, I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I don't need God to do anything. I may have my issues, but I'm not as bad as somebody else. So just kind of leave me alone. That's what pride says. But a humble heart says there's always more to learn. There's always more to take in. There's always more to absorb. A couple of months ago, my dad spoke. You've heard me talk about him long enough, and then he came to speak. And one of the reasons my dad is a role model in my life is because I have watched him. He turned 77 in July, and he's not slowing down at all. His retirement is when he goes into eternity. That's what he knows. But he still, his entire, since I have known him, since I've been alive, I've watched him never get to a place where he says he's arrived. He's never gotten to a place in life where he stops learning. He stops soaking in what God is doing. I mean, to this day, if, if you were to get his Bible, his Bible, the pages are no longer white. They're dark brown. I mean, he spends so much time. He's had his Bible rebound like two or three times. And he's just, because he's, he's always up in his devotions in the morning. I remember as a kid seeing my dad do that. And it's because he has this humble approach that God is always at work in me and through me and around me. And therefore, I need to understand and experience. Like about a month ago, I was talking with another pastor friend. We were having kind of a a theological discussion about some different things. And so I'd read some scriptures and read some articles. And normally this is what I do because I, they, they, I know they're good sounding words. So I, I sent information to my brother-in-law, Larry Powers, and then my dad and said, hey, what is your take on this? What is, what do you, when you read these passages, what, how do you understand this? How do you interpret that? And it was in reference to a book that, that someone had written a couple of years ago. And so I referenced the book and this is my dad's response. He's pretty busy. He emails me back in like two hours. I ordered the book. I'm going to take a look at it, and then I'll let you know. This is a 500-page book. Less than a week later, he emails me, said, I read the book. I'm like, what? Did you sleep? Apparently not. He said, I read the book, and, and these are the passages I go to, and this is how I understand this. And I'm reading his summary. I'm going, he's a sponge. He's a sponge. There's nothing. And I know he had studied it before, but he was studying it again. My dad has this doctorate. He studied just about everything that seems to be able to study. But he still, there's more he wants to understand about Jesus and about the scriptures. And Oh, man, I want that. That's a humble spirit. That's a, that's a humble heart that says, I need to receive more of what Jesus is doing. Therefore, whatever seed that he is spreading over my heart, it needs to penetrate deeply. No matter how young or how old I am or what season of life I am or how much I've accomplished, there's always more of God's kingdom that wants to invade my life. And then the, the second Second thing Jesus mentions is an attentive ear. He says, whoever has ears, in verse 9, let them hear. And then verse 23, he goes on and says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word. Not just happens to hear it in passing, but is attentively 
leaning forward into what God is doing and saying in their life and around them. Constantly trying to hone in on what God is saying. If you've got that humble heart, you're wanting to receive, so then you're tuning in your ear saying, okay, God, I'm listening. I'm listening to what you're saying in my life. I want you to speak to me, therefore I'm listening. But sometimes the challenge that we have in that is that we listen selectively. We're listening for something specific instead of just listening. Because we say, okay, God, I'm, I'm listening and I'm listening for this. And God's not saying that. So you're saying, God, why are you not, you're not speaking to me? And actually he is speaking, but he's just not saying what you and I want to hear. So we're not hearing him. What if we just listened? What if we listened in our daily life? What if we listened in our routine? What if we listened in our neighborhood? What if we listened to what's being challenged to us from Scripture and what we're reading and what we're experiencing? What if we just listen and say, God, let it be your agenda? I guarantee we'll see a whole lot more than we're seeing. But when we only look for one thing of what we're looking for, we miss what is there. Even though it's, you would say, well, it's not there. It is there. You and I are just looking for the wrong thing. Now, over, over on YouTube now, there's all kinds of awareness tests. I mean, you've seen them, you know, where you have to be aware of what's going on. In fact, we, Harold and I found one this week, and I want to show it to you because, it's, again, it's a demonstration that you and I have a tendency to see what we're looking for, but we miss what we're not looking for. So take a look at this. Don't you love the cheesy music? If I would have told you, look for Britney Spears in the lower left-hand corner, what would you have seen? Britney Spears. What did the video tell you to look at? Look how many times the golf ball touches right hand, right? So what do you do? You're counting, and when it came up, you can tell people are really proud of themselves. Eight, I got it. You got that, but you missed what, what you're really supposed to be looking for. And I think when we think sometimes God's not speaking, it's not that he's not speaking. It's that you and I are listening for the wrong thing. We're not just letting him set the agenda of what we're, what we're needing to hear from him. And therefore, we're missing out on what he's doing. Which leads to the final thing in verses 10 through 12. Jesus tells you and I that to prepare to embrace the kingdom for his power, for his authority in our life, and around us to be present, you and I have to have a very thoughtful mind. Because Jesus says in verse 10, he says, And the disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to people in parables? Why are you telling them stories? And Jesus says this in verse 11. He says, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them, those who are not getting it. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And understands it going on. Then then it goes on in in the last part of verse 23. He says, and this is the one who produces a a crop, yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. What is Jesus talking about? Listen. The seed is spread all over. All kinds of soil get the seed. 
but they don't hang on to it. It's taken from them because it hits the surface of that, what, that hard path, the callous heart. It doesn't get deep, so it's taken from them. Or it gets down just a little bit, but it doesn't take a deep root, so it withers away. And so everything that you think that you have because you hear just a little bit or perceive just a little bit becomes something that just vanishes. But those who allow it to penetrate deep, who allow it to go deep within their soul and think about this and understand it, are the ones that truly get the secrets of the kingdom. They're the ones that get it. That's why Jesus is telling stories, because by telling the parables, you know what he's revealing? He's revealing people's hearts. He's trying to make it clear, but he realizes it doesn't matter how clear he is. It all matters on the soil that he's, he's spreading the seed in. So that's why today really has to do with us. Is God capable? Absolutely. Can God convince us of anything? Absolutely. But God also knows the condition of the human soul and the heart. And he wants us to respond to what he's saying and what he's doing around us and in us. So I want to I close with this because I want you and I, in fact, I felt that first service and second service as well. And it's something that, that it's almost comes to my mind almost every single Sunday of, of what we experience here and how that translates to what happens outside of this place at this time. So would you just close your eyes for a minute? I want you just to, to take yourself into your own life and the, the, your own rhythm. So you've come to church this morning. In a minute, five minutes or so, we're going to dismiss. You're going to head on your way, and you're, you're going to kind of probably do something similar to maybe what you did last Sunday. You might go out to lunch. You might watch some sports. You might take a nap. Some of you might go to work. Whatever it is, there's a routine that you're in. And you go to bed tonight, and you wake up tomorrow, and you start into a Monday. You'll go to a typical Monday. You'll drive to work, and maybe it's traffic or whatever. You'll go to school, or maybe you're getting the kids off to school, whatever it is. You're doing your normal routine. But as you go through the normal routine, just think through, put yourself in the context. Other than a moment of maybe devotions, or the hour and 15 to the hour and a half that you've spent here this morning, how much more present is Jesus in your life? Now, I want you to stay in, in your mindset of where you are right now because the reason I'm asking that is because there's a tendency for you and I to, to live out this rhythm. We allow God's kingdom and the presence of Jesus to fit in compartments of our life. But then when we leave those compartments, we somehow are convinced by our actions and our thoughts that he's not still working, that he's not still present. So therefore, we're not looking around us to see what's happening with other people. We're not considering the challenge that's in front of us, and maybe Jesus is calling us to a deeper obedience. But we check in and we check out according to either devotions or worship or Sunday morning, but we don't see the continuity that God's kingdom, through the power of his spirit, works constantly, day and night, in every season, in every time, in every place of our lives. That is what Jesus is calling us to hear and perceive and understand. That Jesus is at work always. He is always trying to penetrate deep within our soul. And so the reason I had you even right now with your eyes closed rehearse that in your mind is because some of us need to break up the routine of our lives. We need to drive different patterns. We need to eat at different restaurants. We need to meet different people. We need to sit in different seats. Some of us need to move to a different location. Some of us need to take a different job. Some of us need to get outside of the routine that has literally put us to sleep so that we can see that God is active. God is working. Lord Jesus, we want to embrace your kingdom. We want to be a part of this 
invasion of eternity into the present. That you're coming, Lord, with your power and you're coming with your authority. And Lord, that's why we know that even now we see glimpses of what your kingdom is supposed to be about. We know that eventually someday in eternity we will experience the fullness of your kingdom. Where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or tears or pain. Because now we are in the fullness of your kingdom. You are fully reigning. But right now we know, Lord, that you are penetrating bit by bit. Your kingdom is invading, which it has been for thousands of years. So, Lord, as, as you bring this invasion, open our eyes. Open our eyes beyond the church to see where you're at work in our relationships where you're at work in our lives, where you're challenging us to to live more obediently to what we know that you're calling us to live out. Open our eyes to things that maybe we pass by or that are familiar to us that we've never seen before that you want us to see newly because you're you're showing us this is where my kingdom is at work. This is where I'm reaching out to people and I want you to be a part of it. Lord Jesus, open our eyes. Help us to experience your kingdom. Help us to understand it in a way so that, Lord, when you refer to those who get it, those who hear it, those who receive it, that we would truly understand the secrets of your kingdom in our life and it would change the way we live our life because ultimately, Lord Jesus, we know it's getting to that place in our life where you are the king. You are the Lord of our lives. You are on the throne of all things and our lives reflect that. We thank you, Jesus, for what you are doing in our lives. In your name, amen.